Facts of Faith on SAFM. Seventeen minutes now after eight. Moving on to our feature, which is the new feature for the fa- for the uh, show, Faith of Our Leaders, and uh, we're talking about the organization, uh, the Al Jama Party, and it's led by the Honorable M. G. E. Hendricks. Mr. Mohammed Hanif Ibrahim Hendricks is the founder and leader of the Al Jama Party, a political party intended to uphold Muslim rights interests in South Africa and much, much more. Joining us now on the line is Honorable Hendricks. Good evening to you, sir, and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Uh, good evening. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you very much, sir. Do tell us, uh, first and foremost, when we're talking about the Al Jama pa- party, uh, is this a Muslim party? Because the last time you and I spoke, um, we needed to clarify a few things, including that. Is this a Muslim party or is it a South African party that is constitutive of, uh, of Muslims? I'm sure you can appreciate the distinction there. Yeah, uh, as you know, uh, um, some political parties have started in a church, and Al Jama started in a mosque in Lansdowne in Cape Town. And there's a good reason to uh, to use that because uh, when you go and contest elections, the chances are that the congregation of that church, in our case, the congregation of that mosque. Uh, will will vote for you because you need to uh, you need to rally some support because if you start a party, uh, you possibly have a hundred people that have, that have uh, given you the mandate to start the party, and uh, you then brought out. So so Aldermar started in the mosque, and it had to have certain values and policies, and that was based on on the Quran and Islamic uh, rulings, and. Um, once we had a footing, and remember the first elections we contested, we didn't get a seat at all in 2009. Once we got a seat in 2011, uh, we felt you know, the Muslim community is a very small community. If you want to be a real player in South African politics, you need to broaden out. So uh, we then became a platform uh, for uh, other communities. And... Um, the party has grown to, let's say, 14 lawmakers. Half of them are outside the faith. We also estimate that uh, one-third of our voters also come outside our faith uh, because we don't push the Islamic religion, the rituals of the religion. Uh, we push the values, the norms, uh, the policies. And, you know, Islam is a way of life. And there's a lot of opportunities uh, to look at the Quran, to look at Islamic rulings, and apply it to the issues uh, of of the day. So to answer your question, uh, as we stand now, uh, Al Zama is based on Muslim values, Muslim ethics, but we are platform for all communities, and we are trying to penetrate uh, the mainstream of politics. And we're not going to go anywhere if we're just going to focus on getting the Muslim vote. Okay. Let's talk about yourself. Is your life also based and oriented around Muslim principles? Yes, it is. You know, I was named after my uncle, Sheikh Hanif Bouli, who was one of the prominent sheikhs in Cape Town at the time. And he later became the chairman of the Muslim Judicial Council. 
My mother was a medrisa teacher, so we had children coming to our house to learn uh, the teachings of Islam, how to how to recite the Quran, how to clean themselves before prayer. Uh, so every day there were that kind of activity in in our house. My aunts were also uh, madrasa teachers. Uh, so the family, uh, it was a way of life every day, uh, uh, Mondays to Fridays. Uh, there were, I won't call it services, but there were uh, madrasa classes. And then on Sundays uh, in the area where I lived in District 6, we all went to Sunday school. And the reason uh, I went is because at Sunday school, you used to get a packet of sweets before you left. And uh, we were encouraged to go, and uh, our friends used to tell us, come with. And we used to go, and my parents had no quarrel because they felt that, you know, it's nice to learn about other religions. And sometimes in our house, people, who uh, children who are not Muslims, joined in and sat. Uh, so, yes, we grew up in a very active uh, religious environment. And when, when you mention District 6, it, it, it houses a lot of events in our history, both uh, political and social events that have led to much of the activists becoming activists. Did this, the, the, the events of District 6 ever change or influence your personal life? Uh, the fact that I lived in District 6 definitely, in, uh, you know, uh, affected my personal life. Uh, my mother was an activist as well. Besides being a military teacher, she was a member of the New Unity Movement, and she was very active in politics in the trade union movement. And in 1960, I think I was about 9 or 10 or 11 years old, um, people used to come to Cape Town to visit their families on uh, uh, relatives on the Robin Island after the Ravonia trial and treason trial. So she also had, a, besides it being a place for madrasa teaching, it was also a safe house. And um, it was my job to then uh, take these uh, mostly ladies from KZN and the Eastern Cape to take them, to walk them to the harbor, which was not far from District 6, put them on the boat, and then wait for them to return because you weren't allowed to go to Robin Island, and then bring them home so my mom could give them a warm plate of food. Sometimes there were so many activists uh, in a house, I had to sleep under the kitchen table, and it was, uh, uh, it was no, no issue to do that. So we had uh, uh, people like... Uh, uh, Judge Fikili Bum living there, Dr. Archie Mafeji, uh, Phillips Kusana, and you know, uh, he led the Langa March, um, and, uh, and many others uh, whose names we didn't know because you were not so you were not required, you were not expected to ask people their names, you just gave them refuge, they stayed a night or two, and they left. So, uh, so yes, uh, District 6 was the, is regarded as the hub of the resistance. So that's the environment that we grew up. And uh, my mother went to meetings. Because she's a Muslim woman, she had to be accompanied by a male. So I was dragged along to these meetings and had to sit in the corner or sit next to her. Uh, and um, 
I wasn't really interested in politics. Uh, I was just a, a loyal son going with his mom uh, 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 to attend meetings and then, and then come home afterwards. One of the things that have been documented about your family, and that includes now you now going by the name Hendrix, is the fact that you had to change your name to evade and avoid the law that would have you deported to the then Natal. Uh, yes, is, my mom was very concerned about that. Uh, she got married, I think, 21 years old. She got married to my dad, who was from Durban. He had a business in an area in district that is District Six called Dry Docks, where many of the famous uh, rugby players in our community came from. I also played rugby, and um, so uh, uh, when she got married to my dad, uh, his surname was Latif, because that's a fa- that's his surname from yes. Durban, and his father was also secretary of the Natal Indian Congress. So also into sort of uh, activist uh, politics. Uh, but he obviously wanted to remain in Cape Town. He loved my mom. And um, possibly also because of better prospects in Cape Town, he wanted to stay. So uh, Indians were not allowed to stay longer than three weeks in a so-called colored area. So he was in breach of the law. And then... Um, when uh, he managed uh, not to be apprehended, but when he got married, my grandmother felt that she needs to do something about it uh, because my mother was very concerned that he would be arrested and deported, especially after I was born. And then what is she going to do? So what she did was one of her friends uh, uh, lost a son, and she said, don't you, don't you want to adopt this young boy from Durban? And a friend agreed. And my father then filled in, uh, she filled in the adoption papers. So the term, the surname changed from uh, Latif to Hendrix. Because when you adopt, you take the surname of your adopted parents. So that gave my mother peace of mind. But before the actual adoption, whenever there was a knock on the door, she was worried, uh, you know, that uh, a husband uh, would be arrested. And when I wrote her memos, she said that sometimes she had the plates in her hands, fell out of her hands and broke to pieces on the ground because she thought that they're coming to a fetch husband and deport him uh, back to Durban. And there were, a Muslim, uh, 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 there were Muslim people working for government and they carried, uh, you know, they had uh, some document about him. And obviously, he was on the radar, and we knew about that because family members told us that this guy was well-known, uh, you know, to deport people, that he was now after my dad's blood. But my grandmother outsmarted him, and he got adopted. And that's why I have the surname Hendrix, but my surname is actually Latif. Indeed, indeed. So was the change of name by way of adoption uh, an exercise to, well, go against the law at the time? No. Um, when you, when you, um, uh, I would say, uh, uh, yes, it was to circumvent the law. 
And we had no quarrel to circumvent an unjust law. That's what my mom told me. Yeah. Does that apply yeah, in the Muslim faith which you follow, that you can break an unjust law, you can circumvent an unjust law? Of course, you know, uh, anything uh, you are, you are, you are, you have the opportunity to go on jihad against unjust laws. You can defy it, you can break it, you don't have to accept it. Uh, you know, and the apartheid laws were so abhorrent, and as you know, later on, uh, District 6 was declared a white area. Yeah. So, uh, and all the houses were demolished, and we were forcibly removed uh, from District 6. So, Indeed. you know, um, my mom led the first marches uh, uh, after District 6 was declared uh, a, a, a white area because the whites nearby were worried about black creep because more and blacks also lived in District 6. So what law and were you were, were you conducting a jihad against from uh, changing Lat- from Latif to, to Hendricks? The group, area, the group areas act, you know. Look, it wasn't, a, you know, uh, I don't think she had in her mind a jihad. I was speaking in general that we are allowed to go on jihad against unjust laws. And the way you go about it, you speak against it. And then, uh, first, of, you know, first of all, you're just in your heart, you know, uh, uh, you feel uh, uh, you don't agree with it. And then secondly, you speak about it. And thirdly, you go on actions like protests, uh, which, which they did, you know, actively go on. Uh, there's no question of swords. We didn't have swords in, in District 6. And, so and, and I understand. I understand. By the way, jihad is not just swords. Uh, there's more to jihad. Jihad is deeper than just swords. I totally understand. That, that's I, good. I, that, yeah. You're quite correct. You're quite yeah. correct. Yes. So let's, let's talk about your, your, your role as a lawmaker in South Africa. You have a responsibility as a Muslim to teach people the ways of the almighty Allah, the most peaceful, most merciful Allah. But it would appear as though the laws that are coming from the committees and the ideas that are coming from the committees that you're participating in have absolutely very little to do with the teachings and the precepts of Allah. Would that be correct? I think you are correct. However, at the moment, I have introduced a private member's bill in order to uh, to manifest my faith. You know, in Islam, uh, it is a law that the men must maintain their women and the males in the family must maintain a woman and she must tell her to relax or become an entrepreneur. So that is a general uh, principle of Islam. They, we, they, they say it in Arabic that when you get married, the imam will tell you, you must nafaka your wife. And for any reason, if you should die, the male, senior male members, this whole uh, uh, ranking, they are then responsible for the women's maintenance. So while women are not restricted from becoming entrepreneurs and generating wealth, uh, if they, uh, they are not required uh, to, um, uh, to work, uh, you know, uh, there's no obligation on them. It's a responsibility of males. So we've made amendments to the Maintenance Act of South Africa because, in general, we find that uh, men don't pay their maintenance. 
So, uh, Muslim, uh, so when we obviously uh, look at amending the law, we are not only looking at Muslim males uh, that do not uh, pay their maintenance, we look at all males. So, uh, you know that the maintenance laws of South Africa uh, 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 needs a lot of revamping, um, and uh, we identify that as a need. And uh, so in drafting our bill, which is now after a process is being considered whether it has constitutional or muster before it goes through the different processes in Parliament. So, 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 so I'm just giving you one example of where we try, but like, like, like you say, there are very little opportunity uh, for us because we're in opposition. We don't normally... Uh, it's a cabinet that introduces legislation. Indeed, indeed. We can debate and we can give our views uh, in portfolio committees and at plenary sessions, uh, but the majority party, the governing party, they've got the numbers. You don't have. But the private members' bill, uh, you know, uh, that is what we are doing uh, at the moment. Another private member's bill, which we are busy with, is forgive, we for, want Forgive me for interjecting there, uh, uh, Mr. Hendricks. I'm, I'm interested in exactly what you just said now, the portfolio committees that you're part of. And I see that you've, you've, you've participated and you're participating in a number of them. Just want to zoom into a few of them which have current affairs value for us today. For example, the international relations and corporations, you're an elder member there. Is that still the case? Yes, I'm an alternative member of that portfolio committee, but I don't attend many of the meetings. I obviously check the agendas, and when I can, uh, then I attend. I've now been appointed as a member of the Pan-African Parliament together with the representatives of four other political parties. Yeah, yeah. So and, my, my, my curiosity as far as that particular portfolio committee is what seems to be happening or not happening as far as our government is concerned. It is Our, our government is notoriously known for having a hands-off approach in what is happening in international relations, a fear for... I will dare not speak, and particularly with what's happening in Russia. We've seen our government speaking with two tongues, one president saying that, and then the minister uh, saying another thing, and I do want to laud the minister for what she has said. What is the position What is your, of, of Mr. Hendricks as, as, as far as what is happening in... in, in oh, uh, I'm, having a, I'm having a field day in the portfolio committee's... Uh, criticizing, you know, the double talk and uh, uh, the uh, there's so many problems uh, in uh, international relations. You know, for example, uh, you know, South Africa bought a property in America uh, for maybe 200 million rand that didn't exist. So it must be somewhere in cyberspace instead of being on the ground to establish, you know, a nice corporate headquarters uh, uh, for our embassy. So we have a few They say, you're quite correct, you know, that um, there is a lot of incompetence. Uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the director general, like so many other government departments, has been fired, uh, you know, because of buying this property. And generally speaking, we find that um, there are quite a number of issues uh, that come up. And when it comes to policies, um, 
we obviously uh, feel that um, the government uh, should do, do more about uh, Palestine. You know, we celebrated Freedom Day. But we're not free because Mandela said we will never be free unless Palestine is free. So uh, we're celebrating Freedom Day and, you know, we so much respect for Mandela. The back of our mind, we say, look, we don't have freedom. Mandela said if uh, Palestine isn't free, then that Africa can't be free. And he obviously had his good reasons uh, for that. Maybe he was speaking, you know, generally that where there's oppression and where there's occupation, you know, uh, South Africa has obligation to speak out and make sure that things change. So on international relations, yes, we have a field day in the plenary sessions. And um, uh, 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 the minister uh, is uh, a, a Muslim. And when we meet, uh, you know, uh, outside plenary sessions, uh, if there's a little break, and, um, you know, we have uh, chats, Sometimes because of what I say, she, she just walks away and worries that I'm coming to talk to her and she doesn't want to talk to me. Uh, like when uh, Afghanistan got its... Uh, 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 when the Taliban returned to rule Afghanistan, I told her, you know, how, how the two of us are going to visit Afghanistan and make sure women get more rights. And I thought she would like that and she walked away. So we have a field day and I enjoy... Uh, opportunities to deal with international relations. But now I'm very passionate about the United States of Africa, and um, we're going to focus on that uh, when uh, I attend the Pan-African Parliament sessions. We should invite you to talk to us about that, the, the United States of Africa. That, that's a topic close to my heart as well. So um, another another portfolio committee that was popular during the time of Temba Gordi seems to be much more silent than it was then. SCOPA, the Standing Committee on Public Accounts, there too, you're an, an alternate member. Is that still the case? Look, I was originally a full member, but I realized I won't make the cut on that committee because you need to have financial skills and understanding. Uh, and... Um, so uh, I remained an alternate member, but I managed to persuade the chief, whip, because she makes all the appointments, to put me on um, a, a small business uh, development. I just felt that maybe they, I, 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 I am more suited to be a permanent member of the Portfolio Committee on Small Business. And later on, I also joined uh, Water and Sanitation, because I was very concerned about the fact uh, you know, that uh, uh, nearly a trillion rand has been stolen over the 27 years that the ANC has ruled. And that money should have gone for water and sanitation. And I developed my interest in sanitation in the city of Cape Town when I was a councillor uh, because of the poor water treatment that we have. And, um, uh, you know, that's another long story. So water and sanitation and small business development I'm permanent members of those two committees. Now, if you are a member of parliament, you're opposed only to have uh, members of one committee. But because I'm passionate about water and sanitation, and by the way, I'm, assi I'm, I'm assisting President Ramaphosa to build a dam in the Eastern Cape because they were the first to take up the struggle and the last to get water. So those are two of my passions at the moment, small business development 
and water and sanitation. And the other committees uh, I, I attend when I can because uh, uh, sometimes the, the dates of meetings clash. And I don't have to attend if I'm an alternate member. Only if I'm a permanent member, it's compulsory. I understand. I'm, I'm mentioning all these because these are uh, portfolio committees that could have a voice and implement change in what happens in Parliament in the Republic of South Africa. But it would appear as though we don't hear much of the Muslim voice or at least a voice that could be associated with the principles of Islam. Having you there and the Al-Jamaa party, my curiosity now is, is it possible that your, your, your presence there as a Muslim man, as a man of faith, believing in Allah as taught by the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad, you, you, you're not felt, your presence there is not felt as it ought to be? Look, uh, when, I, uh, when I serve on these committees, I am guided uh, by the principles of Islam and the policies and would vote uh, according to my principles. So I do have a voice in that I would exercise my vote according to my uh, uh, to my values and my voting, voting is the last part of it all there, Mr. Hendricks. My curiosity is, before you get to the vote, you'd be able to speak and convince and persuade other members of the committee to adopt a particular position. So by the time you arrive at voting, you all have persuaded one another. Now, the ideas of Islam are so persuasive that just sharing them would have people welcoming them. Now, it would appear as though if we don't hear these ideas, profound ideas that you find in the Hadith and also in the Quran, dare I say, we don't, they don't hear them because you don't share them. Is that true? Yeah, look, uh, if you look at the two committees where I have a voice, which is uh, water and sanitation uh, for the last two months, and before that for two years now on small business development, uh, we find that uh, one of the issues I raised in small business development was that when loans are given to the poorest of the poor in the townships, there should be no interest. So I push the uh, interest issue. And uh, funny enough, the chairman then agrees with me that we shouldn't charge these people that's interest. Right. That's right. That, that's uh, a Muslim so principle. So there was yes. a compromise. Yeah. The compromise was that the officials found a way to give grants. And they argued uh, when I questioned them about the hardship of interest, uh, that look, the, uh, if you take a loan, let's say, of uh, uh, 10,000, then 5,000 is a grant, but the other 5,000 you got to pay back at 5% interest. If you do the numbers, it means you're actually not paying interest because all of the loan is a grant. Yeah. So we've managed to influence that in a way based on my Islamic belief that yeah, yeah. Uh, there should be no interest. Indeed, indeed. That's a principle that ought to be adopted not only by the small business enterprise by government, but the Republic of South Africa needs to appreciate that. 
I dare say that principle is not only Muslim, but it's also African. But that's a conversation for another day. But now you're talking about two two standing, two portfolio committees, but you've been a member of the Joint Standing Committee of Intelligence. You've been a member of the Labor and Employment um, uh, Portfolio Committee, Health, Home Affairs, Justice and Correctional Services. There's a lot that you could have as an individual man who believes in the teachings of Allah. You can yeah. influence, but it would appear again that influence, these powerful ideas that should come from the mouths of men and women of faith, they're not coming through. It sounds as though we're, we're, we're having men of faith being democratic more than being faithful. Is that the case with you, sir? Are you more democratic or are you more a man of faith? I'm more a man of faith, and uh, but at the same time, uh, my faith tells me uh, you know, that I need to serve mankind and mustn't serve Muslims. So uh, when, I, when, when I look at issues, and I don't have many opportunities in all the committees that you've mentioned, because I just can't, I can't just be everywhere, you know, because two meetings, uh, you know, a, a week, and then there's just another two days left because Monday is constituency work. Uh, so uh, uh, you find that I have to, now with, uh, with, uh, us working from home uh, using Zoom, uh, it is possible for me to have uh, my phone and my iPad and attend two meetings at the same time. Because I'm very interested to know what is happening in other portfolio committees. So while I don't attend them, I will have a chance to debate it when it comes to Parliament in a plenary session. So it's very difficult in a plenary session to take part in a debate if you if you don't know what has been happening in the portfolio committee, what the issues were, because in the plenary debate, uh, our debate on on the issue that has been with the portfolio committee for six months, you can hardly uh, you know make a meaningful uh, contribution, and um, so uh, we try as far as possible uh, to to to. To take part in the debates uh, based on our moral values, and um, there are many issues uh, that the ANC, the governing part, comes up that we don't have a quarrel with and we vote in favour. But when we see that it conflicts with our religion, uh, you know, I would then vote against it. Okay. And I'll give you one example that the ANC didn't want to build a school for the Griquas, uh because they didn't have the numbers. And every political party voted with the government except us. And we said, no, there's a, you know, a, a right to education. And why must the Griqua children travel an hour a day to the, to the nearest school? Why can't they have a school in, uh, you know, in their town? Yeah, all right. So, so, so issues like that, you know, we would uh, be governed by our faith in that the child has a right to education and uh, there shouldn't be these uh, uh, extra hardships. Okay. I want to open the lines for anyone who would like to ask you questions, sir, and then anyone who would like to join in the conversation via text or voice note. They're also welcome. We're talking about the faith of our guest for tonight. And Mr. Hendricks is the leader of the Aljama party. Mr. Muhammad Khalif Ibrahim Hendricks, the then Latif, joins us to talk about his life and his faith and how his faith contributes 
to his life as a leader of a political party and particularly a Muslim political party. Now, if you want to join in the conversation, you can do that. Call in 011-714-2006, 011-714-2006, or perhaps you could send text or a voice note. A voice note can be sent or a text to our WhatsApp line. The WhatsApp line is 0614-104-107, Let's go to the one voice note first, Spinius. Hi again, uh, SAFM and Mr. Hendricks there. You know, I just want to have a, a, a question because when I got to Cape Town, right, uh, we, we, we had colors, uh, we had black, you know, and all the other races. And then we, we had the people we call Muslims, you know. And then we would also have now, now growing up, I would realize that, okay, maybe we confuse Muslims with Arab. So is it, is it fine to, 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 to say people are Muslims, you know, racially, you know, is it not a Muslim religion? Because also when we talk about now black people who convert to Muslim, we always, you know, ask them that, you know, uh, what's happening and, and so on and so on. They would tell us, no, Muslim is not a race, it's a religion, which makes sense. But in Cape Town, there are people who are classified as Muslims. So, is, can Hendricks uh, clarify that? Mr. Hendricks, you want to respond to that? Yeah, look, as you know, uh, uh, Cape Town, we have about 65% of Muslims live in the Western Cape. And we have always been classified as uh, colored. Uh, there was a time uh, when, uh, you know, in the early days, you were classified as Malays. So we are not uh, classified in terms of the apartheid laws as Muslims. It was either Malays uh, and later on, uh, because of intermarriage between Christians and Muslims and tolerance between them, uh, we were then seen as part of the broader uh, so-called uh, colored uh, community. I hope that answers the question. There's no, uh, we, uh, we pray in Arabic, and um, uh, we uh, say our du'as, our prayers in Arabic, uh, because uh, the Quran was, came down in Arabic. But there are also English translations and the Hadith, uh, which is in English. So, uh, Arab. Arab is not part of our culture. We don't agree with many aspects of Arab culture uh, because Arab culture, they are, they've got their own uh, Arab ways, uh, you know, which uh, we meet them when we go on pilgrimage and then we get to know Arabs, but we hardly interact. There are not many Arabs in the Western Cape. Yeah, but you, you, you said now that you recite the Quran in Arabic and you pray in Arabic, in your, your du'as in Arabic, correct? Yeah, but you must understand that uh, Leopold Singo of Senegal, a great philosopher, said that language is a cultural phenomenon for excellence. So Arabic is just a language. It's a culture. And uh, that... Uh, Which you obviously uh, agree with, but you just said right now you don't agree with the, cult, the Arabic culture. No, I didn't say we don't agree. Uh, language is but one part of, uh, you know, the Arab uh, ways. It so happened that the Quran came down in Arabic, and uh, we uh, recite our du'as and our prayers in Arabic. 
So uh, the the language uh, must be seen as uh, as a cultural phenomena, and not necessarily uh, following the Arabic broader culture. Am I mistaken? Did you not say you don't agree with the Arabic culture? No, we don't agree with Arabs. Uh, you know, on many issues like normalization with Israel, for example, we won't agree with that because okay. it goes against the principle of Islam. All right, we'll go to the voice notes and then the calls go to Part Town North. Voice, good evening. Voice, good evening. Oh, good evening, Nay. How right. are you? Well, thanks thank for you, taking my call and thanks to your guest there. I just want to pose a question to the Amir uh, there. That uh, the behavior of the parliamentarians was a, a matter of concern upon the the flood that was upon the nation. Uh, instead of actually uh, uh, applying justice, there was such a hula baloo, you know, some taking want to take, a, uh, you know, uh, score points for themselves. So uh, I'm asking in Parliament, do you actually? engage one another because the behavior is, is just appalling you know it, 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 for, for people who are appointed to save people but because they want to serve their own interests the ego becomes more than anything else you can describe just hold the line there Vuiswa uh, okay. Mr. Hendricks did you hear Vuiswa? Yeah, look, uh, it's just a handful of members of parliament that gets up to mischief and I can understand the sisters, uh, you know, concerned. But then the, you can rise on a point of order and a speaker can consider it and refer to ethics and they can be disciplined. So when they are out of line, uh, you know, it's up to other political parties uh, or members of parliament to stand up on a point of order and bring the quorum to parliament. Uh, but uh, we find that... Um, you know, it is uh, it is purely uh, politics. Uh, we haven't I haven't seen us throwing chairs in Parliament like they do in other countries. Uh, so yes, it is uh, it brings some colour to Parliament. And obviously, if you go across the line, then some then you are referred to ethics, and then they deal with you, and you may lose a month's pay. Uh, you, you must be in a different poli- parliament there, Mr. Hendricks. We've seen <laughs> we've seen people throwing things at each other in parliament here in South Africa. Bottles of water. We've seen we've seen stuff. Vuiso, are you happy with your answer? I'm not happy. My predicament is now upon a calamity. You know, this was a calamity. Said said to be climate change, but some of us are very skeptical. It is not man-made. But they were supposed to be hands-on, you know, instead of starting to fight, pointing fingers. If it's a calamity, that is not someone's fault. Why not get hands-on and help people and stop making noise? Okay. All right. Thank you very much for your so I appreciate your call. Uh, let's go to the voice notes. Uh, play the voice note there, Phineas. Hi, Naya. Mm. Good Good evening to you. Good show. Naya, my, I'm just curious to know out of interest, uh, when um, Latif, uh, now Hendrix, was adopted, did he leave his mother or, you know, how did it work out? Right, thank you, Scully. Thank you, Scully. Mr. Hendrix? Look, once uh, my father's surname uh, was changed to Hendrix, 
my mother's, uh, uh, when I looked at the documents, it's also Hendrix, so it wasn't Latif. So what we did is... What, what, uh, was she I, adopted as well? No, no. Um, when I looked at my mother's ID, her surname was Hendrix. How did she change her surname? If you were adopted in order for you to change your name from Latif to Hendrix, what happened for her to change? I'm not sure how the dynamics work, but when she uh, got married, uh, you know, um, remember, maybe it wasn't uh, registered. She just went, to, she stayed on her maiden name, Bully. But there came a time when she decided that she now wanted to adopt the surname of her husband. And she got the ID in his surname, uh, uh, Hendrix. So uh, uh, when I was born, obviously, uh, then uh, my father's ID and my mother's ID had to present it, and it was on Hendrix. So when my children, my first, my, all our children, we give their second names Latif. So the family surname stays uh, on the ID document. Uh, uh, so like my one son, Jihad. Sorry, so, sorry Jihad, Mr. Hendrix, uh, you, you lost me there. You, you said your father's name was changed to... Hendrix? Yes. Okay. And it was not your name, it was not you who was adopted, it was your father who was adopted and changed. That's correct, yeah. He okay. was adopted. You're right, okay. yeah. All right. So you simply got your father's name after your father had changed to Hendrix. That's correct. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. I want us to conclude our conversation and I want us to clarify a few things now. Um, you, you said something that I found rather interesting. You said um, you you are representing humanity. You're not representing Muslims. I, that's what you said, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. My curiosity was when I asked you about uh, the, the the Muslim ideas. Well, not necessarily to represent Muslims, but to represent Islam, because my view in my reading of the documents that come from the faith that there is much that the Republic of South Africa can benefit if we were to follow the teachings in the various documents. And I've mentioned just two, the various hadith and also the Quran. And you articulated the issue of no interest loans there being a beautiful principle that we can benefit from. Now, is it not true, Mr. Hendricks, that many of these principles, because your focus is you're taking, taking interest of the people, that you have not done much to teach South Africans of Islam so that South Africans can benefit from the teachings of Islam. You're teaching the Constitution, not the Quran. No, look, uh, you are quite correct. We can do uh, much more. Um, it is just that, uh, you know, um, uh, if you look at my opportunities to speak in Parliament, it's limited to three minutes uh, uh, at a time. And um, uh, so uh, I largely focus on, on small business development. And I already told you how I try to push the uh, interest factor there. I also serve on water sanitation and in islam water is a right uh, but our constitution says only access so i push the angle that water is a right and also islam is very strict about sanitation and uh, you know uh, for example 
uh, 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 we have to do the ablutions. When we go to the toilet, we have to use water. We don't just use toilet paper. We have to use, uh, you know, and there's a certain way to clean yourself. So sanitation is very important, and that's why I'm very passionate uh, that South Africa should have, South African citizens right. should have proper sanitation. We, we have to leave it right there. My time is up. Mr. Hendricks, thank you very much for coming through and talking to us. Mr. Mohammed Khanif Ibrahim Hendricks, the founder and leader of the al Party, talking to us on our feature, Faith of Our Leaders. It's 9 o'clock. For me, Nayelu Pondwana and the team, have a wonderful evening.